Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalists Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus. And together, we are the Minimalists. Yes, we are. Welcome to episode number 39. Ryan, today today we're going to talk about noise. Let's talk. Let's talk about what 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 is noise. What do we mean by noise? Because when you hear that word noise, you you hear you think about what you think about the auditory stimuli. But I think broadly, we're going to talk more about just all stimuli, right? Like what what's going on in the world around us. So it could be visual noise. It can be. Uh, 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 actual noise, noise, noise. It can be kinesthetic noise, where where you know you're you're walking through crowds of people, you're at a concert, you're in a busy city or whatever. Uh, it can be also this internal noise, you know, all, all all of the thoughts and and feelings, emotions, the internal clutter or internal noise, what we have going on in our head as well, but also uh, what we're feeling in terms of uh, the rest of our body. The pain can be a particular kind of noise. Uh, for me, I have I have tinnitus in my my right ear, and it's not it's not really bad. Like I know some people get it to where it's just constantly ringing all the time, no matter what. But if I'm in a quiet place, just my right ear is constantly ringing. It's just a uh, a constant bell in my ear. So there's that kind of noise as well. So today, I want to just talk you about talk to you about you know, stimuli and and noise and what's going on inside, what's going on outside, and how do we how do we calm all of that? How do we sort of turn down the volume? Uh, I'm going to start with uh, there's a, a, a excerpt in our book uh, Everything That Remains. It's a, a quick paragraph here. The fifth chapter of Everything That Remains is a chapter called Strong Moves Slow which I think is an appropriate metaphor for everything we're going to be talking about today. But in uh, June of 2010, I had been simplifying my life for about six months then. It was shortly after my my mother died and my marriage ended, and I'd been just exploring, uh, uh, quieting my life by by getting rid of the excess stuff. I took this business trip to New York City, and I was there for like four days, but it felt like much longer because there was just this constant noise. And so this is a, a brief excerpt talking about the noise all around us. It had been quiet on the subway. What a nice surprise. Of course, I didn't comprehend the silence until now, after already exiting the J train. I'm approaching Times Square, swimming vigorously against the stream of people and the spill of electric light. Everything seems caffeinated. I am here, beneath the howl of the world, the pulse of a city dead inside, and yet all this noise is unable to wake the dead. Heads tilt downward, faces lost in glowing screens, technology turning people into zombies. The lights ripple in the high noon heat, bending and flickering and dancing all around me, 
overwhelming and unforgiving, sucking the polluted oxygen from the air, spitting fluorescent fumes, a rainbow of glow that rivals the sun and the cerebral sky overhead. So when I was there, I remember going to Times Square, walking to Times Square through all of that, and it was just overwhelming. And I think we're in a place now where noise has become the default setting in our mm. lives. And, and so when we're, we're thinking about how do we quiet that, we're really talking about resetting our default setting most of the time. And so let's answer some questions today. Our, our first voicemail is from Betsy in Muncie, Indiana. I just had a question about how you guys kind of deal with some negative emotions. I work as an advocate for domestic violence and sexual assault victims. It's something that I'm really passionate about and something that I, you know, I'm really happy to spend a lot of my time doing and cultivating that that passion and working in that field. But I also find that it brings a lot of negative emotions and things that can kind of cloud up my emotions for other things in my life. And I find that it kind of creeps into all areas and affects my mood at a lot of times. So I wondered how you guys deal with that and kind of um, compartmentalizing those emotions or maybe just learning how to, you know, live in a simple way where you can kind of separate those things out from other areas of your life. So those those emotions you're feeling are definitely a, a type of, of noise. And, and so when I think about, well, first off, uh, Betsy, let me say thank you for, for what you do. I mean, you're doing some really important work. You're contributing to your community there, but contributing to the world around you. And I just want to say thank you. I really appreciate that. Amen. And I know the, the people that you're helping certainly appreciate it as well, even if they're not always able to, to communicate that. And they may not realize that you're experiencing these these emotions because often we we don't wear our heart on our sleeve, and often it's not good to do that. But also, you mentioned, well, how do I compartmentalize these emotions? And I'll tell you, throughout my twenties, I was a Mozart of compartmentalization. I I never wore my heart on my sleeves, and I would try to constantly just sort of, well, I'm going to box up this emotion and put it over here and this there over there. That's the wrong thing for us to do because what we're doing, it's, it's, it's like the metaphor of you know, sweeping the dirt under the rug. The dirt is still there. You've just moved it somewhere else. You've compartmentalized the dirt. And, and I think we can do that with our emotions. And then, of course, there are unfortunate consequences that, that uh, peek their head around the corner, and it's not right away. So you don't, you don't experience the negative effects right away. It may be a year later or a decade later or several decades later, where all of a sudden you have this realization that, wow, I hid that emotion instead of trying to, to deal with it. And so what I would say is recognize the, the emotion for what it is. And, and also recognize the positive emotions that you get from this more importantly. You know, your life is basically what you focus on. And so while we can recognize the negative emotion that you're feeling, if it's sadness or if it's anger or if it's distress, realize that many of those emotions, even if they're negative emotions, they can be beneficial because they they allow us to make a change. What we don't want to do, however, is wallow in the, the sorrow. And so you want to notice those peak emotions as well. I say peak intentionally here. It's like if you see a mountain, you can't have the mountain without the valley. And so these, these negative emotions of the valley, the, the key is not to wallow in, in those emotions. I know uh, Ryan and I, you, we just did this um, podcast episode about, about the election. 
And I heard from a lot of people who have been wallowing. They have been upset with, with the outcome for you know whatever reason uh, because maybe they really liked Hillary or maybe they um, just really disliked Donald Trump or whatever, and they've wallowed in, in this sorrow. And I don't think suffering is, product, is productive. I think it's okay to, to feel pain. But, but then do something about that pain. Fo- you you, you want to focus on something, figure out what that the meaning of the thing is, what's the meaning of this emotion, and then take action on that. And then uh, more importantly, let's find out what emotions that you're experiencing that are happy, that we produce more of those. So we have more peaks on, on the, the overall landscape. And realize that many of these emotions you have control over. You can't change the things you don't have control over, but you do have control over your your emotions. And it's just like a muscle. You can train yourself to to over time experience fewer negative emotions or experience those negative emotions for a shorter duration. And if you're doing if you're doing that, if you're not wallowing, and if you're staying in that valley for a short period of time but then ascending the mountain after that, you can experience more of the positive without suffering through a lot of, uh, of the negative. Yeah, uh, Betsy, when I was listening to your comment, you know, I just thought to myself, wow, like here is a gal who is taking the world on her shoulders. Well, I mean, you know, maybe not the entire world, but <clears throat> the people that you interact with, uh, you are taking, taking a lot of their world on and putting it on your shoulders. And the first thing I ask myself is, well, who's taking it on for Betsy? Mm. So I think that's the only thing I would add here is find find someone that you can, uh, you know, kind of dump these experiences on, whether it's a friend or a family member or even if it's a, a, a therapist. I mean, there's nothing wrong with with uh, seeing someone on a weekly, biweekly basis to just kind of unload all your emotions on. I used to do that in the corporate world. And it was really, really helpful. Um, it's not like a, a, a catch-all. Um, I think this is just one ingredient to, to uh, getting that noise, to, uh, to, to, to silence that noise. But I think it's a great step uh, to help you do that, Betsy. Betsy, thank you for your question. I'd love to give you a copy of our book, Essential. Uh, it's an essay collection. Ryan and I wrote 150 essays about 12 different topics, everything from minimalism and stuff to success. But also we have a chapter in there about mindfulness, and I think that chapter will help you quiet some of the, the noise and deal with some of the negative emotions that you have so you can experience more joy and more satisfaction in, in the work that you're doing. So thank you for what you do, and thank you for your question. Our next question is from Jessica in North Carolina. I think for as long as I can remember, I've been um, using, I guess you would say, white noise to help me get to sleep. Usually this takes the form of something that reminds me of conversations had in another room, uh, just kind of lulls me to sleep. Recently, um, about for the past year, it's taken on the form of listening to old sci-fi TV episodes, things that I've seen hundreds of times. Uh, So I'm not interested in actually staying up and seeing what happens, but I play it on my, um, on a video app on my phone, listen to it on my earphones, turn it down to barely audible and flip the phone upside down so I don't actually see it. My husband's sort of half joking, half serious, <laughs> says that I have a problem and that I should be um, maybe listening to something uh, that I would learn something, maybe suggesting y'all's podcast. But 
for me, that's kind of the opposite of what I'm trying to do, because if I listen to your podcast, then I'm interested in what you have to say, and I don't go to sleep. So I guess the point is, could you help us sort of settle our debate? Do I need minimalist therapy for my white noise addiction, or am I getting value added from my audio only <laughs> sci-fi uh sleep assistance jessica you know i don't know what should she do here i mean i, I don't know what you should do uh what i'll say is this <clears throat> if i was sleeping uh trying to sleep listening to old sci-fi shows i would not get very good sleep i know whenever i have uh like whenever i've tried to sleep with a tv on in the background it's like the 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 shows kind of dictate my dreams and i really don't get like a fully restful sleep but jessica that doesn't mean that this isn't a good tactic for you i mean if it works <clears throat> great um that would not work for me personally um i'll tell you what i personally do is uh i will i do have like a fan um that uh will provide some white noise which really helps um and then also mariah and i uh we have a sleep meditation that we will uh, will use, I, I, and Sean will put that in the show notes for anyone out there who's interested in it. It's kind of a, it's kind of a, uh, <laughs> it's kind of cheesy, but it works. It's yeah. like this very like soothing, you know, music and like kind of like this. Think of the most like cliche, um, uh, you know, meditation, guided meditation that you could think of. Like it's 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 very much like that, but mm-hmm. um, but that's just kind of the point, though. It's it's banal. Yeah. Um, and, and it's something that is a lot easier to fall asleep to. So Jessica, yeah, you know, uh, I don't, I don't have anything I'm going to tell you that you should or shouldn't do. I do. <laughs> well, it's, you funny, do. it's funny you mentioned <clears throat> that the, the sleep meditation, I've tried that with, uh, with Bex and I mean, she, she, so she has totally changed the way she sleeps, but she, when I first met her and we, we first started dating, she was literally the worst person I've ever seen in terms of like falling asleep and insomnia. And, and so I do, it's so easy for me to fall asleep at night. Uh, it's not always easy for me to stay asleep, but I, I will fall asleep instantly at night. And so doing this, a meditation at night, like we would be 30 seconds in and I'm snoring and she's just <laughs> get upset. So you got, you got to make sure that's not it. Uh, Jessica, first thing you, you asked about your, your, your husband. And you said, is, is he right or am I right? Well, your husband's wrong. Um, and, and, of course, you don't want to tell him that. So maybe you, if you want to play this back to him, I'll, I'll tell him he's wrong. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, and the reason he's wrong is because what you're doing isn't working for you, right? And I agree with Ryan. If, if, if uh, what you were doing worked and you were getting great sleep, but clearly it's not working because you're, you're calling in and you're, you're asking about this. And you said you need some white noise to fall asleep. I, I think that's fine. In fact, I'll recommend some things that will help you go to sleep. But a few things you don't want to do, you don't want to turn your brain on at night. So listening to engaging podcasts, you know, if our podcast puts you to sleep, then, you know, then we have, <laughs> we have a different problem. But it sounds like what you're saying is our podcast wouldn't put you to sleep. And I, you don't want to 
uh, engage the what we call the monkey mind, right? You, the monkey brain. You, you don't you don't want that. You want something that's going to put you in a state that allows you to be more creative, more imaginative. So first thing I want to recommend is yes, if you want to do something before bed, uh, maybe read some fiction. And we have a, a list of many of my favorite novels and, and short story collections over at theminimalists.com slash recommendations. There's a bunch of book recommendations there. Uh, we can put that in the show notes uh, for you as well. But um, you want to do something that's going to turn your mind off. So it could be the meditation. It could be reading fiction. There's a bunch of things that, that you don't want to do. Uh, oh, oh, speaking of reading, by the way, let me go back for a second. You may want to get your, your husband to read to you. I, I know that I do that often at, at night with, uh, with Becca. Well, I'll, I'll read a short story to her or you know, read something that I've been uh, – generally something that's fiction. And uh, I'll read that to her, and, and I know that that definitely helps out if uh, if we're reading at night. But here here are some things that you want to do. Uh, you talked about white noise. Well, the the best thing that I found for white noise is something called a dome sound conditioner. That's D O H M. But uh, we'll put a link to the one that I use in the show notes. I got this for Becca, and it it plugs into the wall, but it's not making noise like a it's not a speaker. It's a series of fans, and the National Sleep Association they uh, it, it's the official sort of. Uh, noise conditioner or sound conditioner of the National Sleep Association. And man, it creates just this great white noise that is not overpowering. But uh, especially when we were living over by where the trains are, I mean, that helped out a lot. But even now, like it's it's far less it, it's far less noisy outside. But any little thing will will wake up Becca. And so uh, the the sound conditioner helps out with that. Here are a bunch of other things that have that have helped. Uh, Bex over the uh, the the last year or two, uh, she has a sleep mask. I have a sleep mask as well. Uh, I use a really nice one that is like it wraps around your ears and it's really soft. Uh, I'll put a link to the one that I use in the show notes. I also use uh, some earplugs called uh, uh, earpiece, like P E A C E piece earpiece. Uh, blackout curtains are important uh, so you don't get any light in. In fact, you want to reduce all of the, the light, especially the blue light that you're experiencing in the evenings to reset your circadian, circadian rhythm. And, and to do that, you want to have no screen time after it gets dark uh, because what happens is this uh, the, the, blue, the blue light in your TV or your phone or wherever it triggers your brain to make you think it's still light outside. It's still sunny out and because it's still sunny out, you want to be awake. And so it makes it harder to go to sleep and harder to stay asleep as well. So you can install something on your computer. It's free. It's called Flux. It's a, a screen. Uh, uh, basically, uh, it, it puts a filter on your screen that removes all the blue light. So you can do that on your your computer. It's just f.lux is, is the website. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And... Um, We've talked about this before, but let's talk about it again. Uh, the Calm stuff, Ryan, I know you've been using that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like that's been, been working for you pretty well. It's like magnesium. <clears throat> yeah, there's. it's like every little thing that you just mentioned, uh-huh. it adds like a significant, <clears throat> I'm sorry, a, a little bit, a little significant uh, uh, increase to like my sleep. So, so like the Calm helps a little bit. The eye mask helps a little bit. Right. The earplugs help a little bit. Yes. The, all these incremental changes. Yeah. Melatonin helps a little bit. So, like, all that stuff added up, yeah, it works really, really, 
uh, really well. Um, so I think s- about that. If you're making, I, I couldn't, I can't sleep until I cannot sleep until noon like I used to when I was in high school. Not that I want to sleep until noon, <laughs> right? Um, it but, just wouldn't uh, be possible. But now. but yeah, but I I can get a solid like seven or eight hours now um, with very little tossing and turning compared to if I didn't use any of that stuff. Yeah, I try to make sure I get eight to nine hours every night, especially since I've been trying to heal my my body and my back. A few other things that help me. So so you've got the the calm we just talked about. It's just a powder you put into warm water at night. It's magnesium. Um, uh, if you want to do melatonin, I, I would encourage you to cycle on and off of that. I know Sean, you've been doing that recently and that, that has helped, uh, our, uh, podcast, Sean, our producer here. Um, he has been doing, uh, some melatonin, uh, supplementation and, and you can do that. Start off really small. What is it like, like three milligrams or mm-hmm. something? Yeah. So, so start off small. You can do a little, uh, 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 spray under your tongue or the little the pills will, will work as well but you don't want to become dependent on that either mm-hmm. so it's good to cycle on cycle off with that also something that uh bex uses is um something called new mood which has uh l-tryptophan and, and some other stuff in it that that helps with uh, serotonin production and uh which helps which helps her sleep as well a few other things that i do uh stretching right before i go to bed uh, because i have back pain so anyone who has any pain at night uh, the stretching really helps. Also, putting a pillow between my legs at night helps me stay asleep hmm. uh, because of my back pain. And um, I, I will do a sauna often tonight. In fact, I'm going to a sauna tonight to uh, to you know just just feel better and 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 and, and detox and and also helps out with my hormones and my mood regulation and everything. But uh, the sauna uh, at night helps me stay asleep longer and and feel you know feel more calm also put your devices in airplane mode or i would just say get your phone out of the bedroom altogether Uh, certainly don't have a tv in your bedroom bed is meant for two things neither of which are watching reruns and and so um it's crazy how like the articles that have come out about how the wi-fi signal and how so even if you have a modem that's like in your room for internet. Mm-hmm. Like unplug that. Yeah. So uh, uh, the Bex. Wi-Fi, yeah, the the Wi-Fi signal from your phone, mm-hmm. the cellular cellular signal from your phone. Like there's studies that show how much that interrupts people's sleep patterns. Yeah, the, the EMFs. So it has a lot of potential downsides. So anything that's Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. Yeah. Uh, we have a light switch that turns off our Wi-Fi uh, at night, and so you can you can do any of these things. And like Ryan said, it's incremental. So you make a ten percent change. Uh, a ten de- I should say ten degree change, right? Mm-hmm. So, the, the thing about that is, if you make ten ten degree changes, you've made a hundred degree shift in in your sleep pattern. And so, uh, all of these little things they they add up and and they count. Let's talk about like what not to do. Like, don't drink alcohol Ooh, before yeah. you go to bed. That's one of the worst things to do. Um, it's funny because like when I was younger, I used to think like, oh, just like I'll just have like a little glass of whiskey or I'll have a couple beers, and it does. It helps you get to sleep. But the problem is, like, you don't really stay asleep. And the sleep you do get is not good sleep. Uh, the other thing, too, is don't eat before bed. Yes. Um, like, eating, what is it, within, like, three hours, two hours? Yeah, like and longer if you can. So yeah. If you can go four or five hours. Because what's happening is your body has to then expend energy to, instead of recovering, and that's what sleep is for, is recovering right. at night, it's it's then trying to digest all of, all of the food that that you ate, you know, an hour before you went to bed. And so it makes it more difficult for your body to, to experience rest, for yeah. sure. What else? What else shouldn't we do? Don't watch TV. What else? Yeah, I mean, avoid avo- avoid any light. So so dim the lights at, 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 at night and, and try to have as, as few lights as possible. In fact, uh, we use a few uh, amber lights so without any blue light mm-hmm. in it. 
so that we ha- we we can still see at night because you know, in Montana it gets dark at 4:30 p.m. in the in the winter, um, <laughs> and, and so uh, having some amber light, which still allows you to illuminate your house. Um, and, and then going back to, to reading, I think reading will, will really help you. In fact, uh, Jessica, let me, uh, I usually don't send this to anyone, but let me send you a copy. I wrote a novel in my 20s. It's called As a Decade Fades, and we'll give you the, either the print or ebook version on, on that. And um, maybe, maybe my book will help you get to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's some of the best writing I, I ever did in my 20s, and, and, and it's completely different from any of the, the minimalist stuff that we've done. But it's a book I was, I was really proud of, and, and so hopefully that, that, that crea- that'll get your, your creative mind working and help you get into that. Ryan, right before we started recording, we, we talked about the, the alpha brain waves versus the beta brain waves. Mm-hmm. So when you sleep, you experience these alpha brain waves. And and uh, when you wake up in the morning, you're still you're in a fl- you're in flux between alpha brain r- waves and beta brain waves. And so at night, what you're trying to do is transition back in. And I think reading some sort of uh, a fiction or stories will will help you uh, in that process transition from wakefulness to restful sleep. Our next question is from Lindsay in Indiana. How do you be um, a minimalist um, when you have a mental illness. I have ADHD and um, have a mind that moves faster than anything you can imagine. I very much want to slow down my brain and the things I own so that those don't fog up my mind. Um, I'm so wrapped up in the moment and don't think about the world that is going around around me. I'm also in management and can't seem to tame or figure out how to tackle the paper beast that my um, that it takes for me to kind of stay on track. Um, are there any tips that you can give to help um, the mental mind clutter, the paper clutter, and all the stuff in general that ensues with ADHD? I think the first thing we want to do is reframe what what we're talking about. You know, uh, I think Tony Robbins would say, decisions, not conditions, determine our destiny. And what you're saying right now is I have a condition, and it's a limiting belief, basically. And so we want to change that belief. Y- yes, you may have ADHD, and I'm sure Ryan will be able to, to talk about that. Um, and, and it's easy for me to say oh, I have OCD, and that's a limiting belief uh, in, in my own life. When, whenever, whenever I think about these, these conditions that determine my life, I, I realize I need to make different decisions about what I focus on, what I find meaning in, and so I can take actions accordingly. And you can realize that, that the language that we use, instead of, instead of calling uh, your condition ADHD, uh, instead of calling it a, you know, a mental illness, uh, let's acknowledge that, that you learn differently as a person, and that can be beneficial to you. Yes, your, your brain may work more quickly than other people, but that, in many, in many instances, that is a benefit, not a bug. And, and so that's a feature uh, of, of someone who can engage more quickly, who can problem solve more quickly. And in fact, you can look at a lot of people that, who have supposed ADHD and, and realize that they're some of the most productive and successful people. But look at Silicon Valley. I mean, everyone there has ADHD. And, and, and 
they're they're wildly successful in many senses. They're they're making an impact on the world that many of us can only dream of because they've taken that condition that they have and decided that you know what this is this is a a benefit for me. Uh, in, in terms of of uh, slowing down, I mean, you you can look at the, you know the research. Uh, there, there's been a lot of research that talks about K through 12 uh, uh, meditation has helped. Uh, a lot of kids with ADHD. So, uh, if you haven't tried meditation yet, you you'll want to get uh, start with a a meditation app like Headspace or Ten Percent Happier. Or uh, Sam Harris has a couple of free guided meditations: a nine minute one, a twenty seven minute one. We have uh, links to those on our website, uh, theminimalists.com/sam. We did an interview uh, with him uh, on that, and um, also uh, in in terms of of uh, more research, they found out, especially for kids, that exercise is really important for kids with ADHD. So I'm assuming adults with ADHD, it's going to uh, it's going to be the same thing. So you may want to consider yoga. I, I I think that that does that kills two birds with one stone here because you get the physical aspect, and it can be rigorous, especially something like hot yoga. It can be really rigorous, but it also gives you that, that mental calmness as well. So, so it turns down the noise physically and mentally at the same time. A few other things that, that I might recommend. Uh, we already talked about asana. But I will, in fact, I'll do mindfulness meditation in the sauna as long as no one else is there. I go to the YMCA for the sauna, so sometimes there are other people there. But if there isn't, I will do mindfulness meditation in the, the sauna. Uh, Ryan, this, this past weekend I had to go out. It was actually on Monday. I had to go to Spokane to get some blood work done, mm-hmm. and so Bex and I went out there. We just made the uh, Spokane's like the the closest city to where we live. I mean, it's I don't uh, it, it's it's a city, right? Uh, we live in a city, I suppose. But like, if you want access to to everyday city kind of uh, things, you you tend to go to to Spokane. Uh, or even Seattle. But we went out to Spokane and uh, decided to make sort of a day trip out of it. And uh, I did uh, several things that really helped calm my mind. So I went floating. Uh, I'm really looking forward to doing a float tank once they once they come here. Because it's just like a sauna. You get benefit from it one time, but you get far more benefit from doing a a float tank if you can do it two, three, four times a week. I love floating. Like, well, out of the hour, there's like 15 minutes that I love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, because because why, though? Because you start to relax. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at first, it like turns up the volume. And you realize like, oh, my God, there's so much noise in my head and also noise in my body too, right? Because float tanks are, are for those of you who aren't acquainted with it, a float tank is a sensory deprivation. Right, and, and so you're you're floating in 93 or 94 degree water that is the same temperature as your skin. Uh, it is pitch pitch black, so you can't see anything, you can't feel anything. There's no noise, so you can't hear anything, and so you feel like, oh, I didn't realize my knee was aching today. I didn't. Oh, and my back was, is is hurting more than I realized. And what is all? Where are all these thoughts in my head? And they're zooming, 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 zooming. You you feel for a person who doesn't have ADHD, you feel like all of a sudden you do because you've turned everything else down, and the only the only sensation is, is what's going on inside your 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 body. And so. Float tanks, they turn everything up so that you can turn everything down. So I, I definitely recommend that. I also did cryotherapy while I was out there. There's, a, there's finally a, a, a cryo place in, in Spokane, which is pretty awesome. Uh, the guy who runs it, uh, Pat, at uh, Spokane Cryo and Health, he's a really, really great guy, just like really funny. And uh, it's in the middle of this weird little 
plaza thing. It's like in the back of a building somewhere and you just go in, but it, it was great. And for me, uh, I was talking to Becca about this because for her it, and many people, they get, they do cryotherapy and it's like, it's terrifying or it's really cold. You know, it's negative 230 degrees Fahrenheit for three minutes. For me, it's a meditative experience. I don't know if you experienced that whenever you've done cryo, but but it, it – because you The first time it's shocking. I mean it, it is – It really is. Yeah, the first time it's like – I mean that's why they allow you to go only like a minute or two. They, don't, they won't even let you do the full time yeah. because of how shocking it is the first time. But yeah, like once you get used to it and you realize like, okay, you're – it's like mentally you know you're not going to die – like intellectually, you you understand this, but as soon as that cold hits your body, like your body doesn't understand that. Right. So there is this like initial wave of like panic, but like once you your body gets used to it and like realizes like okay, I'm not gonna die, then yeah, it is certainly a meditative experience. But yeah, that first time is uh, not so meditative, I would say. No, I, I agree with that. You, you, it's it's psychological, but once yeah. you get past, once you know that like okay, this is going to be fine, and yes, it's going to be cold. Negative two hundred and thirty degrees is really freaking cold. Mm. Uh, although I'll tell you, it's not as miserable as taking an ice bath. No, and, not at all. And uh, on last episode, the gift giving episode, I talked about. And speaking of gift giving. These are all things we're talking about right now. These are great gifts you can give someone. Float tank, like sensory deprivation. Sure. Is, is some of this great cryotherapy, uh, if you have it nearby, uh, is, is an interesting gift that you can experience with someone else. But uh, I, I found that the first time I, I did, did cryo, like, yeah, it was really cold. Uh, but it was still better than, than doing an ice bath. Dude, an ice bath sucks every <laughs> single time. Well, almost every time. So when I go to the, the, the Russian bathhouse Voda Spa in yeah. Los Angeles, it... it they have what is colder than an ice bath. It's 30 degrees. It's a plunge tank. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's salinated uh, plunge pool. You go from 220 degrees, you're sweating your butt off, mm-hmm. and, and then you go from that to to 30 degrees, and it is euphoric. And how long How long do you stay in the plunge pool? It, I, I will often stay a minute. Um, but man, once you get past a minute, like once you get past ten seconds, it's like, oh my goodness, like this is really, really terrifyingly cold. But uh, and then when you get out, you spend five minutes just sitting down. It is euphoria. I mean, it is. It's really amazing because, and also it really helps it boost your immune system, mm-hmm. uh, which which you know, is a nice benefit for me. I do it for pain management, so my back's really bad. So I do cryotherapy. It radically reduces inflammation. Radically reduces the pain that I have, and a lot of athletes do it for quicker recovery. The same reason they would do an ice bath or anything like that. But these are, are different ways to base. What all we're saying here, Ryan, is. Find ways to change your state. Mm-hmm. You, you're, you're in a pattern right now. You change your state to break that pattern, and that will help you reorganize, reconstitute your thoughts, and, and ultimately turn down the noise. Yeah, uh, Lindsay, um, you know, you're, you're, she posited her question, you know, how can you be a minimalist, or is it possible to be a minimalist? That's what it was. Is it possible to be a minimalist when you have a mental illness? And, you know, I just want to, you know, re, uh, reiterate what minimalism is. It's about using your resources consciously, using them deliberately. And the resources, uh, the resource, I should say, that you're asking about specifically is your attention. And I can tell you that being ADHD myself, it's very important for me to be deliberate with my attention. So I'll tell you, first and foremost, the most important thing for me is having a uh, having something to do like having my day planned out because I'll tell you my ADHD really really flares up when I have nothing to do 
It's like if I'm sitting there and I don't have something to do for a couple hours, uh, then I want to do a million different things. And what ends up happening is I kind of get frozen with, uh, you know, too many choices. And then I'll just sit and, and veg. I'll get on Facebook or get on YouTube or whatever. So I'll say, you know, if you don't have a schedule in your life right now, uh, get a schedule. Um, that is something that really, really helps me. Like I'll tell you my, what, what a typical day for me, what it looks like now, this is a typical day. This isn't every single day. I'm not perfect with it. Um, but, uh, most days I will wake around, uh, like seven, seven thirty AM. Uh, I will make some coffee, make some tea from Mariah, and then we are uh, off to the gym. And then after the gym, I'll come home, shower, get ready. And then uh, by 1030-ish, um, I will either uh, be reading or I will be writing. Or sometimes I will uh, catch up on email just depending on uh, what, what my day is, is like. And then from there, basically between 12 and 6 p.m., uh, I am either mentoring I am reading, I'm writing, or I am, uh, again, <laughs> uh, doing uh, like s- social media. That's usually when I check social media is usually uh, around 5 p.m. So um, those, those are things that it's not a like this super strict schedule, but what I have are very, very uh, uh, limited options to choose from. So um, I usually do about two to three mentoring appointments a day. So that takes up the majority of that afternoon time. But if I have an open afternoon, then guess what? I can be reading, uh, writing, or uh, uh, again, like uh, checking up on on email. So I would say limit your options and use a schedule. <clears throat> By far, um, like going over the schedule the day before helps me uh, helps me to plan that out a lot better as well. And I think this can carry over to your um, just this approach of having you know a tool to help you. I think this can carry over to your paper issue that you talked about having at work. Uh, get a system down with your paper. Like right now, I'm just like imagining her having like these six foot stacks of paper on her desk where she can like barely even fit like a laptop on there or something. (laughs) If that's the case, then yeah, it's going to take a lot of work to get those stacks of paper organized. But once you get a system down, whether it's scanning them, whether it's archiving them and putting them in boxes. And I mean, I remember at our old, uh, at our old jobs, mm-hmm. Josh, we had at our retail stores, we had all that customer paperwork we had to hold on to contracts boxes, and like receipts mountains and, of boxes. Right. And what we would do is we would uh, literally put them in a box. Okay. This is December. And then we would, you know, call whatever company it was to come and pick it up and they would archive that work. We had a system. Yeah, place. we had a system in place. So, yes, the initial work is going to be uh, – it's going to be hard. Um, but once you get that out of the way and start implementing your system, Lindsay, um, whether it's with the schedule or whether it's with, you know, your, your, your papers, I promise you it will help. Uh, it will help during those times when you're feeling like your ADHD is flaring up. Um, if, if you've got a system in place, it, it definitely helps quiet the mind. Two things you reminded me of there, Ryan. One is uh, Greg McEwen wrote a book called Essentialism. And in there, he in the book, he talks about um, uh, designing your week. And, and so uh, he said, you know, a month is too far out because it, it, it it's like trying to plan your year. Like, yes, you can, you can take broad strokes, but you don't want to plan an entire month in advance. And you don't want to plan just a day in advance because then you get caught up in the inputs of everyone else. And I think that's important to, to think about with, with a lot of, uh, of what we're doing. A lot of this noise, it means we're just responding to it. So what Ryan just said, like, if you, if you have 
uh, an hour to kill, basically. And what often do we do? Your average person checks email 150 times a day now at work. 150 wow. times a day. Uh, that used to be us, I would think. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, in fact, we were on the high, the high end of things. So the, 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 the supposed high performers check their email as often as 900 times a day. Wow. But let's think of, let's do the math on that. That's once a minute, every minute for 16 hours straight. Yeah, that's crazy. So, so, so we, what, what happens? That's, that is noise, but it's us allowing other people to dictate our day. Yeah. And so if you're really struggling with, with all of this noise, Quite often, it's because other people are dictating your day, and you don't even realize it. It might be people in your social media feed. It could be your email. It can be the news, because the news is what? It's shocking. It's titillating. It's always trying to get us to click here, click here. You, you don't – if you see a news story from BuzzFeed or whatever, and it says, today's a good day, you're probably not going to click on it. But if you, if you see the thing that says, terrorist threat is looming in Missoula, Montana – you're going to click on it because all of a sudden you, you, it, it's supposed to jolt you. That's what they're trying to do. They're dictating not only your day, but they're dictating your emotions. And I think it's important to remove ourselves from that. Back to, to the uh, – and, and I think the way to remove ourselves from that is to plan out your week in advance. Uh, having a, a weekly design session, as Greg McEwen calls it, to design your week around what your priorities are and don't let other people dictate your priorities. And, and also in that book he talks about the term priority. Yeah, up until the 20th century, you know, the word literally means the thing before, priority, mm-hmm. the thing prior. And, and, and think about that for a second. The first thing is what it means. And not until the 20th century did we say, well, that's more than one thing. It's no longer our priority. It's a whole set of priorities. Now, Ryan and I did a whole episode on priorities. Uh, uh, you can go back and check that out in our, in our podcast feed. But we want to have as few priorities as possible. And in order to do that, we can design what our week looks like, schedule downtime, schedule time for yourself, because sometimes the things that don't seem productive, alone time or, or restful time, mm-hmm. those things are productive because the word Product. What's the product? Well, I, I am feeling more restful. That is a product of having rest time, and that allows you to be to to better perform in other areas of your life. So schedule in that rest, schedule in the alone time, schedule in time with friends, schedule a time for your health, and, and you can do that early on in the week so that you you feel good about about the the productivity. Uh, of your week. Yeah, the biggest, I think the biggest takeaway here, because like going over my schedule, for example, it works for me, um, but it could be a little confusing for some. But I think the biggest takeaway here is uh, to be proactive. Like, I mean, if that's the one piece of advice, I guess, Lindsay, I could really give you um, that helps me with my ADHD is being proactive as much as possible. And back to the paperwork, the mountains of paperwork, if it is too much for you to deal with, there's a company called $1scan.com. They are not a sponsor. I've not used them personally, but I've had a lot of our uh, readers comment ab- about them. And so if you're not wanting to do a scanning party, you can see what scanner I use for, for all the paperwork that Ryan and I have used. We've done a scanning party uh, of our own. Uh, we wrote about that at theminimalists.com slash scanning, and you could find the exact paper scanner that I use. You could feed papers into it really quickly with, with that scanner. But if you don't want to do that, you can send off boxes of your own paperwork and old books and everything else to $1scan.com. It's uh, the number one 
dollarscan.com. Last thing I'll, I'll tell you, Lindsay, is anxiety. This anxiety that you're feeling it is often tied to our memories. What does that mean? It means we're spending a lot of time in the past, and we're not going to get where we're going. We're not going to get to the destination if we're constantly living in the rearview mirror. So instead, let's keep our eyes on the road, keep our eyes on the journey ahead of us. Let's try to live in the moment. Uh, let's live right now and occasionally glance toward the horizon of, of what's going on in the future. One question to ask yourself is, is this useful? So if you're experiencing an emotion, if you're experiencing a thought, if you feel that there is a, too much paper clutter in your life, ask yourself those three, those three words. Is this useful? And our friend Dan Harris talks about this in our documentary. So, uh, Lindsay, there's a whole mindfulness section in our documentary called Minimalism. Uh, we'll either send you the the online version. It's on uh, iTunes and Amazon and, and Google Play and Vimeo and all those places. Um, you can find that at minimalismfilm.com, but we'll send you a copy of that, or we'll send you the, the DVD. It just came out on, on DVD as well. So either way, Lindsay, we hope you find some value in that. Our next question is from Nora in Ithaca, New York. I just wanted to ask if you guys could talk about how – being a minimalist, um, how that, that can be possible when you're literally in this bubble um, of, of people that aren't minimalists. And um, also, you know, I know that you guys came from corporate jobs, and I think that's really, really impressive. Um, but I also was um, very much consumer-driven. I spent hundreds of dollars on skincare products, beauty products, clothing, um, things that I really didn't need. Um, and, you know, that transition – can be, I think, a lot more difficult than if you were, you know, already pretty simple and now you just wanted to take that extra step. Um, so basically two issues I'm, I, I would like you to address. The first is how to be a minimalist when everyone around you is just wealthier and, you know, when it comes to, down to, um, you know, people's items are their social, define their social status. And when you're in college, when you're in a, in this bubble, it's not as easy as, you know, when you're living alone or, um, when you have an opportunity to change. And then the second one is, you know, how do you do that when you were so, so hardcore consumer-driven? Nora, my, my advice would be get out of your bubble. Like, that's, that's step number one. I mean, uh, we talked about that during our podcast uh, called Blame when we were, we were talking about the election and how important it is to, to seek out differences of – Opinions. So there's a there's a couple ways you can get out of your bubble. Uh, you could go. I don't know um, how close uh, Ithaca is to Buffalo or Rochester. Are those? Are it's uh, not too far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there, there's a basically you can go to minimalist.org and you can click on Buffalo or Rochester, whichever is closer, and you can plan uh, to meet with with that minimalist group. Um, uh, uh, they meet once a month, so it's something you could you could plan well in advance for. Or uh, if you don't have time to drive an hour or two, however long it takes to get to one of those places, um, you can certainly go to meetup.com and search for different groups in your area. And here's what I would say too, Nora, is yes, go seek out people who are like-minded, open-minded, who do want to live a simple life, who wants to incorporate minimalism into their life. But I'd also encourage you to Go hang out with people who you could see yourself never hanging out with. Uh, let's say it's um, 
you know, an, a, a, a theater group and you could never see yourself acting or even being interested in theater, well, just go hang out with those guys. Get a different perspective. Get a different, uh, get, get a different opinion on things. And, uh, yeah, no matter what, um, that's, that's, uh, that's an important thing, I think, for, for life in general is to not put yourself in a bubble of, of just people who agree with you 100% of the time. Uh, to answer your second question about how to be a minimalist when you're so uh, – uh, you're such a uh, – uh, Consumer. You're so, yeah, you're such a consumer. You're, you're, you're so – what did she say? Consumer-driven. So hard consumer-driven I think is, uh, is, is what she said. You know, you've discovered some unmeaningful habits that you have in your life. And you want to change that. So, you know, the first question I would ask is, what are some meaningful habits you'd like to incorporate with your your new approach to life? And just pick one of those to start with, just one. So uh, if it's, well, you want to contribute more, you uh, go to the soup kitchen, uh, go to, you know, Habitat for Humanity, go out and do those things. And the more that you incorporate good habits into your life, there won't be as much room for the bad habits. So, uh, yeah, just start with one thing and, and uh, uh, keep kind of piling on from there once you feel like you can add, add another thing. I agree with, with going slowly there, and, and, but it's about starting now, right? Change, changing the focus now, slowly surrounding yourself with new people. So Ryan mentioned uh, minimalist.org. That, we have free local meetup groups in 100 cities in eight different countries. You can just go to minimalist.org and, and find a meetup group that is close to you. And if you can't find one close to you, we do an online meetup uh, once a month over at minimalist.org. We have an online city, and we just call it the online city. And so you can uh, connect with thousands of other people who will help support you. And that's really what you want to do. You're, you're surrounding yourself with people who have similar values. They're not always like-minded, but they tend to be open-minded. And so identify what your values are and surround yourself with people who have similar values. Ryan and I tend to have different beliefs, but we have, have the same values. We even have different interests, and, and that's okay. Uh, but, but if you put yourself in a group, a new bubble, or expand your bubble to people with uh, similar values as you, and by the way, you're at the best time to do this. You're in college where people tend to be a lot more open-minded to, to change. You, you get a group of people who are in their 80s or 90s, they're less likely to make a change. Is it possible? Sure it is. We've had people in their 90s show up at events and say, I'm just becoming a minimalist for the first time in my life. It's less likely, though. You're at a time of exploration right now. Take advantage of, uh, of that exploration. Uh, you don't have to necessarily leap up and call yourself a minimalist. Uh, it's one of the, the most difficult things you can do, actually, because other people think you're going to kill yourself or whatever. Oh, you're getting rid of your stuff. Well, no, you, you can just start simplifying your life and then show other people the benefits of what you're experiencing. You don't have to say, look at me, I'm becoming a minimalist, and I need you to share my values. No, you can go find other people who have similar values. Uh, one of my favorite lines uh, from uh, our book, Everything That Remains, is you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. And what I mean by that is you can't try to change someone, even if you, though you love them, you care about them, you can't change that person, but you can change the group of people that you associate with and start associating with people that, the, uh, who you aspire to be like. And I think it's important to surround yourself with people 
Uh, surround yourself with people who are similar to the person you want to become. That's going to help you grow. It's also going to be uncomfortable. You're going to feel a lot of discomfort at first. You're going to put yourself in, in what I like to call the discomfort zone. But that's the place from which you grow the most. And the more you grow, the more you have to give. The more you give, the more you grow. And it's a really beautiful cycle. Also, the last thing I'll say is there's nothing necessarily inherently wrong with consumption. We all need some stuff, right? Uh, the, the, the problem is compulsory consumption or compulsive consumption. And so uh, don't think of yourself as a consumer. Think of yourself as a citizen who often needs to buy things to to live, and that's okay. But the things that we surround ourselves with, we shouldn't try to find meaning in those things. Those things should simply augment our our experience of life. And if we consume less, that opens up more time for creativity. And the more we create, generally, uh, there are a lot of studies that show the more we create, the happier uh, that we that we feel. And so if you're consuming less, creating more, you're probably going to feel uh, a lot happier. You mentioned Ryan's and my uh, journey from the corporate world. So we both grew up really poor and then climbed the corporate ladder, made a lot of money doing that throughout our 20s. And, tra- and then eventually realized that wasn't making us happy, and we had to transition into uh, a life that wasn't consumer-driven, but was a life, a simpler life, a life of, of more meaning. Uh, Ryan and I wrote about that journey, uh, the last th- those five years of our lives from suit-and-tie corporate guys and also our childhoods and, and the drugs and alcohol and all that stuff that was going on at childhood level growing up poor, and then our journey from these suit-and-tie corporate guys to becoming minimalists and then the minimalists. We wrote about that in a book called Everything That Remains. And Nora, I'd love to send you a copy of that. Uh, The first seven chapters really cover that transition in in detail uh, from these these suit-and-tie corporate guys to changing our habits, not just getting rid of bad habits, but replacing them with, uh, with better ones. Our next question is from Victoria in Finley, Ohio. My question today is about criticism. Um, I heard you guys uh, were reaching out if we had any comments. And um, I'm an INTJ, Myers-Briggs personality test. And um, so for me, criticism is something I love and I thrive on. And I look for that and I want people to give me criticism, uh, constructing criticism, I'll put it that way, because that is how I can be self-aware and self-develop in that area. Um, so for for me, I really look for that. However, I struggle with people being honest and like giving me that, giving that to me, and then I assume that other people want that as well. So I feel like I have a big um, just like separation from people in how I'm being, uh, you know, um, translating and everything. And so I have to constantly remind myself that not everybody likes criticism and people don't want to necessarily hear the things that I have to say, but I do want to hear the things that they uh, don't want to say. Yeah, Victoria, uh, I think Josh would agree uh, with this, that, yeah, we definitely appreciate, you know, helpful criticism. And, you know, I think, like, you know, you have a good friend when they can come up to you and be like, hey, your breath stinks. Put a mint in your mouth. Mm, like, yes. I really appreciate it. Uh, when when uh, someone does that for me, like Mariah will come up to me and be like, hey, uh, you might want to chew some gum. Whenever um, someone offers me gum, that's a, I always accept you it just because have to I, assume. Just, I assume my <laughs> breath is awful. I've... Uh, you know, I'm, con- in, the, I'm in the const- constant state of perpetual fear of halitosis for some reason. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I'm with you, man. But, you know, even from readers, like I appreciate hearing the different points of views to, uh, to help me make sure that I'm considering all sides because that's something that I really 
uh, kind of pride myself on is, you know, being able to kind of look at a situation through different lenses and being able to make a good decision based on those different opinions. So, yeah, I certainly welcome that. Now, um, I I agree with you, too. Uh, You don't want to give criticism to someone who didn't ask for it. And certainly if you don't know the person uh, they're not your friend. They're not in that in that primary circle. You wouldn't want to go up to them and be like, "Hey, your breath stinks. Have a mint." Um, you would want to approach that situation much much differently. But what I will say, Victoria, the one thing that helps me whenever I'm giving any any criticism to anyone is when I am say, I, I avoid using the word "you." So I will never say, uh, you know, maybe to Josh, I will say, hey, your breath stinks. And like in that situation, but let's let's take that example. Um, if I'm going to go to someone who is uh, th- that I just uh, that I first met and they, their breath stinks. So I would approach that in the way of like, hey, you know, I know uh, that if my breath stunk, <laughs> I would really want someone to tell me. Is that something that you would want someone to do for you? Right. And you can kind of uh, position it that way. Like, uh, again, like when you use the word you, uh, you use it in an ambivalent or in a complimentary way, uh, never in a negative way. Um, always use I um, if you're saying something negative. It's, it's a very good way to um, help people not feel so defensive. Take ownership. Yeah. And it doesn't put blame on the other person. You, you, you. Uh, if you can kind of put it on yourself. Um, it makes the the criticism a lot easier to uh, digest. I think we need to be honest too about this, Ryan, w- w- with Victoria. Is she says she likes criticism or she wants criticism? No, you don't. You don't want criticism. What you what you want is the outcome that crit- criticism provides mm. you. So we need to take a step beyond criticism. You don't like criticism because criticism is not necessarily good or bad. Most criticism is is nonsense. It's vapid. It's trite. It's it doesn't make any sense. It's trolls on the internet. Uh, especially as you put yourself out there more and more and more, and, and you're going to get criticized more. So, Victoria, what you want isn't criticism. You said you want to be more self-aware. You want to develop. You want to grow is the word I would use. And and the criticism helps you do that. So really, if you want to give criticism to other people, it's not because you – I mean, it would be kind of rude to just want to criticize other people. That makes you a critic. And, and I, I have very little use for critics. I have a lot of use for friends who want to add value to my life. Mm-hmm. In, fact, in fact, I surround myself with, with people who I trust at their opinion. Even when it's different from mine, I'll reach out for that kind of feedback. So instead of maybe providing criticism to the people around you, what if you were able to, to provide feedback and, and position it in a way, frame it in a way that helped them become more self-aware, more developed, help them grow as an individual? Wouldn't that be a lot better than simply criticizing them because if you're just criticizing for the sake of criticizing well then you are a seagull and and we have an essay on our website about this called seagulls i'm gonna read a quick excerpt from that criticism is inevitable unless you do nothing important with your life but whenever you put yourself out there whenever you expose your ideas to the world be it via social media blogs or business meetings You're effectively wearing a sign that says, criticize me. Of course, some criticism is beneficial. Feedback from people we respect helps us grow. Other criticism, however, is toxic. The most virulent example is the cynical internet troll. Trolls are like seagulls. They fly in, crap all over you, and they fly away. 
They're too stupid to understand the implications of their own actions. Truth be told, most critics bring nothing to the table. They simply project their own insecurities and add zero value to the conversation. And if we listen to them, their toxicity permeates our thoughts, making it difficult to create anything worthwhile. So you have two choices, either create and be criticized or hide from meaningful work because you're scared of a little bird poop. Personally, I'd rather cover my head and craft something worth criticizing. I just think that's something worth worth thinking about here is if we're going to be creating, then yes, we do want that feedback that is helpful. But from whom? Not from everyone. There's 7 billion people in the world. You don't want feedback from everyone. You want from people that you trust. You value their opinion. Surround yourself with people who, who can give you that feedback that you need. And when, you're, when you are that role, when you're, when you're fulfilling that role for someone else, provide the feedback in a way that is not a critique, but it is, it is truly feedback in a way that they can use or don't have to use, but in a way that may help them grow as well. And ultimately, when in doubt, listen. Listen to what other people have to say, but also listen to what they're experiencing. That will help you shape your feedback more effectively. And I think feedback is basically only only one way to strengthen your relationships. And Ryan and I often talk about relationships because it's one of the, the five core values that we focus on. And so, Victoria, I would love to send you a copy of our book, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. Uh, that book is the first book we wrote. We wrote it back in uh, 2011, a long time ago Golly. now. But we, uh, we wrote a second edition last year and updated basically every page of that book. It's our shortest book as well. It's, I think, 130 pages, roughly. And it covers the five values in he- uh, health, relationships, passion, growth and contribution are the five values that we we hold as core values. And relationships, uh, a big part of that is providing feedback and critiques when when it's appropriate. And we we hope that can help you uh, find out when that is appropriate. Uh, The good news is that one just came out on uh, audiobook as well, an an updated version of the audiobook. So there was an old version from five years ago, but we updated this version last year, print and ebook. So we'll send you either one of those. Or if you want the audiobook version, Sean, if you can give her an audible code to, to download uh, that book, it's read by the very talented narrator of ours, uh, Justin Mollick. He's a really great guy. He runs a podcast called Optimal Living Daily, where sometimes he reads our essays and other essays from other um, people on, on the internet like uh, Derek Sivers. But he read the entire book. Uh, in fact, he's reading all three of our books. Uh, Essentials already out there, and the newest one here with Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life is out there. Victoria, I hope you find value in that book, especially the relationships chapter. It'll help you decide when is the most appropriate time to, to give feedback to the people you care about. Well, we'd love to hear what you have to say, folks. So if you have a comment about noise or any of the, the callers' questions today, including minimalism tips for how you handle the noise in your life, then leave us a voicemail, 406-219-7839. Of course, we'll air our favorite comments and tips at the end of our next episode. And here's a tip for you. Make sure you write down your message before you call in. It will help you articulate your point, and, of course, it will increase your chance of being on the podcast. All right. Let's move on to our hashtag Ask the Minimalists lightning round. 
where we answer questions from social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram, at The Minimalists, and Facebook.com slash The Minimalists. On all three of those platforms, Ryan, we, we try to uh, avoid adding to the noise because those can be some really noisy places. So we're constantly asking ourselves before we send out a tweet or a Facebook post or a, a picture, is this going to add value to someone else's life? If, if not, then we delete it. We don't, we don't send it out there. We share a lot of different things on social media, but we also answer some questions. And so during this lightning round, Ryan and I, we, we do our best to each answer uh, a question with just a, a short, shareable, less than 140-character response. And then we'll put the, the, those responses to the, we'll call, we call them minimal maxims. We'll put those in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like. All right. Our first question is from Mary. How do you deal with restaurants who have TVs on and loud music playing at the same time? Do you just stay away? <laughs> I, I don't... I guess I have been to restaurants like that. I was just trying to think, though, like, you got TV blaring and music blaring at the same time. Mm. Like, that is... Game just, bar is that, that way. That just seems like a crappy environment. Uh, yeah. Their TVs are turned down, though, right? Like, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But there's... I was there this, this weekend, um, and it was packed. It was after the... The I, Grizz game, the Grizz, and 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 Montana State was out here for it. So like, oh it was really? Just, yeah. It was oh man, I missed the big game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I was at James Bar, and it was this the same sort of scenario here, where the TVs are on, music's playing, and everyone around me was just. Con- and I had, I just had to leave. We left early because like, I couldn't handle it. So, yeah. so what do you do, Ryan? What's your answer? I typically avoid TV-filled restaurants unless I'm there to watch football. Yeah, I think my my short answer is yes. The first step in turning down the volume is actually avoiding the noise. Uh, At the very least, turn your back to the noise. I I quite often do that. If I'm at a place and there are TVs everywhere, I'll just make sure that I'm positioned in the place where I I can't stare at it because I find the glowing screens mesmerizing. It's distracting. It really is. And and then, of course, by paying attention to that, what am I doing? I'm ignoring the things that are most important to me, like Mm -hmm. my partner or the people I'm with. Our next question is from Casper. What's the forgotten value of noise and static? Noise isn't always bad. I love going to concerts. Lots of noise there. Yeah, I think for me, the, the, I had to think about this question because I, I think it's a fair question. We don't often flip questions around on their head and say, well, is there actually value here? And for me, my answer is the noise helps us appreciate the quiet. There's a, a David Foster Wallace uh, um, analogy, I guess. If, if you're whistling Mozart at a Metallica concert, you won't hear it, right? Because the Metallica concert's going on. And, and I think it's the same thing here is, is you, you hear all that noise, and you're like, well, I, now if I remove myself from that, I can actually appreciate the quietness, and I can get back to whistling Mozart. Teresa's question, how do we encourage friends and family to put away and silence phones during get-togethers? You know, I've been to plenty of get-togethers where the invite specifically asks for no phones to be present during the event. I love that idea. Yeah, for me, I would just say for more meaningful get-togethers, leave your phone in the car, suggest a phone-free evening, 
and keep a phone basket near the door. Or better yet, you could do one of those bowls and put all the phones in there and then fill it with water. (laughs) (laughs) And then you freeze them. (laughs) We should try that. You can do that during your game nights. Okay, seriously, don't don't go do that. <laughs> All right, our next question is from Hudson. What are some practical ways for silencing mental noise, negative thoughts, racing thoughts, etc.? Meditate. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I my answer is not as pithy as that, but uh, I would I would just say. Are your negative thoughts useful? If so, take action. If not, let go. Nice. Ooh, this question is from being conscious. Yeah. It's interesting how different noise levels can affect productivity. How noisy do you like your environment while writing? I like being in a coffee shop. It's not the noise, though. It's the movement of the people I enjoy. For me, I think three words sums up how I like my writing environment. Silence reigns supreme. Okay, let's move on to our added value portion of the show. This is where we each recommend something that has added value to our lives recently. Yeah, you know, I think this is very appropriate, an appropriate recommendation for this episode. Um, Mariah and I have a essential oil diffuser i don't even know the brand of it so i'm not there's not going to be a link to the diffuser we have but um if you are someone who uh yeah has a lot of uh distracting things going on in your household it actually does make you feel a little calm just like smelling the uh frankincense or I don't, whatever Mariah, whatever fragrance. Eucalyptus. Yeah, whatever fragrance Mariah puts in there for the day. Now, eucalyptus is great. I mean, it's really calming. It really is calming. Yeah. yeah, like I was really shocked by it. Like, because uh, it, it doesn't fill the whole house. It's just like, you know, it's a small one. You Were you have in the bedroom or? No, it's actually in the kitchen. Um, but I typically will sit at the counter with my laptop um, if I am, you know, checking social media or doing emails or writing or whatever. And just um, sitting on the counter, uh, it, was, it was the other day. We've had it for a couple of weeks, but it, it wasn't until the other day I was sitting there and I was like, what is that awesome smell? I'm like, oh, yeah, that must be the diffuser. Yeah. And uh, it really was like a, a nice, like peaceful feeling. I mean, it's, you know, it's not this like magic bullet, um, but it certainly helps. Yeah, for sure. I've heard uh, there's a podcast I listen to from Ben Greenfield, and he, he talks about that a lot. Um, yeah, using essential oils and which ones to use. And, and when you go to a, a steam room, a lot of times they have eucalyptus and mm. and you can because it stays in the air in that steam and you can breathe it in, which is pretty awesome. Uh, for me, I have uh, a few things uh, to, to recommend. Um, a new song just came out that I just spent the weekend with, with Bex. We didn't have Ella this past weekend, and I swear we just played it on, on repeat and it was good. John Mayer, fellow Montanan. Has a new song out. It's called "Love on the Weekend." I think I sent you the uh, the B side. <laughs> uh, he did this like jokey. I have a big shirt song. Yeah. Um, it was on social media. I mean, so I was doing a float tank this uh, on Monday. Yeah, and that song was stuck in my head. Oh, really? I've got a big shirt. I mean, it was just so <laughs> it's such a ridiculous, <laughs> it was so ridiculous. But the, the actual song, the Love on the Weekend, is is a really great song. And speaking of songs, uh, there's a brand a band called Brother Cephas. Uh, you know Seth, who works at the coffee shop that mm-hmm. we're partners in down in 
in St. Pete. And last time I was was down in St. Pete, I went to a Brother Cephas concert. He's the lead singer for that band, and they have an EP, and it's called Noise. Oh, wow. And so at the end of this, Sean, I'd love to—that to, to, song is a great song— um, it's it's a little their music's heavier than what I would typically listen to. You know, people who know me know I listen to what are my equivalent of the theme song that that we that we that we play from Peter Doran is generally what I listen to either that or '90s hip hop. But noise is a little bit heavier and and noisy, uh, which is appropriate. But it's a great song, a great EP. Uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. But we'll play play out the uh, the episode with that at the very end. Uh, I already talked about some of my recommendations with floating and cryo. Uh, I shared that whole day trip to Spokane on on social media. So I've been doing something interesting with the Minimalist account on Instagram, uh, doing this hashtag, the Minimalist City Finds. And so anytime like we go to a new city or whatever, I'll just take a picture of the coffee shop we go to or if I'm in L.A. And, and, or in St. Petersburg or Dayton, Ohio or New York City and sharing some different stuff there. So uh, you'll find a bunch of different things that add value to our lives if you just search that hashtag on Instagram, The Minimalist City Finds. Uh, Beck and I did, I, we posted like three or four photos while we were out there. And, um, oh, last thing I'm doing, check out my phone. Let me show you this, Ryan. Do you notice anything different about my phone? <clears throat> Go ahead and open up, open up something. Everything's blacked out. Blacked out? Black and whited out. It's grayscale. So uh, let's put a link to this, Sean, in the show notes. Uh, the Atlantic did this like three or four minute video about by putting your phone on grayscale, it radically reduces the the uh, impulsive behavior. Mm. And they've done some, uh, I can some see tests that. on it. Because, I mean, pull up Instagram. All of the, icon- all of the yeah, icons you- are, like, trying to be the flashiest, like, right, well, touch they- me. This is an icon you want to press. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so uh, you, you can't go to Instagram now and, and feel – it's just kind of boring. Like, if you pull up – an app, and you're like, oh, oh it's all even, grayscale. Yeah, even like the pictures. And Everything's stuff. grayscale. Yeah. And so I'm doing uh, a holiday phone and media fast. So between Thanksgiving, which we're recording this the day before Thanksgiving, this will be out after Thanksgiving. But between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I am I have my phone on grayscale. I unfollowed a bunch of just places that uh, was was. I'm basically on a, a low-info diet, mm. so radically reduced any news or anything I had. I also removed from my phone a ton of apps. I know more at Twitter. I haven't had Facebook for a long time, but no Periscope, uh, Instagram. Uh, I've just deleted a bunch of apps from my phone. Any apps that I haven't used in the last 30 days, basically, are gone, and also the distracting apps. Any social media is completely gone from my phone. doesn't mean I won't use social media. I just have to be at a computer. I have to log in and do it more intentionally. And like Ryan said, you know, checking it once a day, you mentioned maybe checking around 5 o'clock or whatever, I find that to be far more productive than you know, constantly reaching for my phone. The average person reaches for their phone over 150 times per day now. And ever since moving mm. my, my phone over to gray, to grayscale, it's just not entertaining anymore, especially <laughs> once I removed all those supposedly entertaining apps from, from my phone. So I'm going to try that out for a while. If anyone else wants to try that out and, and let us know how it goes for them, you know, let me know on social media. Eventually, I'll get around to, to, uh, to seeing that for sure. 
All right, let's move on to right here, right now. This is where we get to talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. Uh, we've done a bunch of recent interviews, some of my favorites recently. Uh, I did uh, Lewis Howells. He has a, a podcast called School of Greatness. And, uh, man, I've gotten more feedback on that interview than just about anything that we've, we've done. There's so many people. Really, at the end of it, he asks, like, what are the, if, if you were to die and all, your website's gone, your books are gone, you could just leave behind three truths mm-hmm. for the world to hear, three things that you, want to he- that you want to communicate, what would they be? It was a great question, and I felt like I gave a really good answer to that. So Lewis Howes. Um, yeah, it's a great interview, man. Also, I was on Tom Woods' podcast recently. So Tom Woods does five episodes a week. He's a libertarian and, mm-hmm. and does. And he watched the documentary with his four kids, his four daughters, and uh, really enjoyed uh, the documentary and the lessons. And he's not necessarily sympathetic with everything uh, to do with minimalism, but found a lot of value in sharing that the documentary with his kids. And so I spent half an hour talking to him about that and libertarianism. And uh, I also was um, uh, on The Art of Charm with uh, Jordan Harbinger uh, and, and enjoyed that interview for sure. Uh, we get a bunch of other ones as well. You can just go to theminimalists.com slash media, see a bunch of TV interviews that Ryan and I have done. Also some print and radio interviews, other podcast interviews on there as well. Also, as you know, uh, and this is appropriate for the noise episode, we don't clutter our podcast or our website we don't clutter them with advertisements, but there are a bunch of ways that you can support the minimalists, and we don't we don't ask for this often, but I figure I throw this out here for this one. Uh, you can donate a few bucks to theminimalists.com/donate. Uh, you can, or if you you can't do that, that's okay. You you can still share our podcasts, our essays, or our TEDx talks with your friends and family, or you could even just leave us a well thought out positive review. You can review our podcast on iTunes, which helps us reach more people. You can review our books on Amazon, and you can review our documentary, Minimalism, a documentary about the important things. You, you can review that on IMDb. That'd be really helpful. Or on Amazon, iTunes, or Google Play. I mean, we just really thank you for that support, however you're supporting us. If it's just listening, if it's sharing, if it's reviewing, if it's donating, we, we really appreciate it. Uh, what else here? Uh, the, the holidays, they are right around the corner. Ryan and I just did that gift-giving episode. That was one of my favorite episodes that we've done so far. It was number 38 in our feed. Uh, but we also have a couple of, of upcoming things. We have a podcast about the holidays. It's coming up soon, so you can subscribe to our podcast if you don't already. Check that out. And uh, we have a few essays about the holiday shopping season that, that are coming out. And we also have two photo tours. One, Ryan did a, a photo tour of his home recently. I'll be doing one soon. If you want to see a photo tour of my home and all of these holiday essays, you can just uh, get our email newsletter. Just go to theminimalists.com. At the top, there is a box that says email newsletter. And just type your email there, and we will never, ever send you any spam because spam is gross. Uh, lastly, uh, you can hire the minimalists. Ryan and I are going to do more speaking gigs next year. We, we typically do one speaking gig per quarter, and we do a ton of preparation. Uh, we're working on some new material, and we're also working on a new presentation for old material as well. And so we, we're sort of the best of both worlds there. And So if you want us to speak to your university or your organization, you can go to theminimalists.com slash speaking. We're going to try to move that up to about one speaking gig a month. And so that will start to fill up pretty soon. If you're interested in having us speak to your university or organization, theminimalists.com slash 
speaking. We'd love to, uh, we'd love to see you. Finally, here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Hi, this is Anna calling from Brooklyn, New York. Um, I loved your show about clutter and kids, and I wanted to add two suggestions that have really helped me. The first is um, for relatives who want to buy your kid a lot of gifts and won't adhere to a one-gift rule, um, to use a little rhyme, which is something you want, something you need, something to read. Um, I used that at Christmas and for my son's birthday, and so he only gets three gifts, um, and I find that it really helps. And the second tip that I use is to get seven bins or baskets with days of the week written on them, and your child can only play with the bin, which is for the day of the week it is. And not only does this keep the toys off the floor and the room clutter-free, it also makes those toys really special because they only see them once a week, and it ensures that they actually play with the toys that they have. Hi, Joshua and Ryan. My name is Jenny, and I'm from Columbia, Missouri, and I've recently found your podcast, your website, and I'm a thrilled, almost 69-year-old grandma. So thank you so much for all you're doing. I just have two comments. I have a suggestion for other grandparents about simplifying Christmas. I did this several years ago uh, in terms of grandchildren. So for each grandchild, we uh, I designate a certain amount of money into thirds. So it could be three $1 bills or three $5 bills, whatever your means. And the instructions are that they can take one-third and buy whatever they want, just blow it. And the second idea is that, uh, or the second portion is that they um, save it, put into savings. And then the third portion, they must donate pick a charity or organization to donate because that's the real meaning of the season. The other comment I want to make um, has to do with, uh, I think one of your podcasts mentioned, what do we do with photos? And I have been, um, uh, I've been searching and, and very emotional about my photos, but thanks to your podcast, I now know I can go out and buy a scanner which I've ordered, and I'm going to learn how to use it and scan my photos, and then I will repurpose or donate or sell my scanner so that it doesn't clutter my life. Hey, guys. My name is Krista from Huron. I'd like to thank you for another avenue of uh, sharing the minimalism uh, movement with my family. I have a husband who is slowly starting to get on board. Um, He has seen because of my simplifying, he has seen my anxiety level greatly decrease. Um, I'd also, again, too, thank you. This, like I said, it gives me another avenue to show my 12-year-old son, who also has anxiety, how he can simplify his life going forward. All right, y'all. That's it for this episode. If you have a question for the minimalists, give us a call, 406-219-7839. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. All right, here's a, a track from Brother Cephas. It's called Noise. <laughs>